from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday night, and man, it's good to be with you guys. What a crazy day I've had. Man, I'll tell you about that later. But today's the big day. We've been anticipating and anticipating and anticipating who is on the uh, the list, right? Who is on the list? of the Lolita Express, Epstein Island, Pedophile Island. Well, we have a little bit of a look into that. You've probably been hearing about it all day because the court has unsealed the names in uh, the Ghislaine, uh, who I like to call Ghislaine, uh, Maxwell lawsuit. And uh, this is uh, regarding the 2015 lawsuit from Virginia Jufre. And we have some names, nearly 200 names that had been previously redacted from uh, all the court documents in uh, both of these lawsuits against Jeffrey Epstein's former lover and accomplice, Ghislaine Maxwell, have been made public on orders of a federal judge in New York. <clears throat> what a courageous judge. You've got some judges that are willing to contort the Constitution to toss Trump off a ballot when people want to vote for the guy and, and, and uh, no courage to do the right thing there. But this judge showed some courage, and uh, I applaud that because this had to be a difficult scenario Right. A lot of people are going to be embarrassed, a lot of powerful people. So <clears throat> we'll see how this ends up for them. But uh, this is according to Fox News, by the way. U.S. District um, Judge Loretta Preska ordered the release in December, but gave the Jane and John Doe's two weeks in case they wanted to appeal. So the names are unveiled in a series of 40 documents that have been posted to the docket without previous redactions and hid big names, including, <coughs> excuse me, former presidents Bill Clinton and Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito. Clinton's estranged longtime aide, uh, Doug Band, Prince Andrew, and the late former, I didn't know that. Uh, I'm late to the game, excuse me. I had no idea Bill Richardson died. Okay, New Mexico Gov, Bill Richardson. And uh, the French modeling agent, uh, Jean-Luc Brunel, who, like Epstein, uh, died while awaiting trial. Interesting, interesting, interesting. David Copperfield and Michael Jackson were also on this list. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people on there that were there to cut deals and do whatever. I, I think the, the question becomes, how many times did you go? And, um, and what are you willing to say about going, right? Anyway, Epstein had many high-profile connections, including former U.S. presidents, foreign prime ministers, uh, Britain's Prince Andrew, as well as Hollywood stars, leading academics. Speaking of academics, we're going to talk about uh, Claudine Gay a little bit uh, in the next segment. And uh, people in the modeling and fashion industries, as well as other public figures. Now, some of the names were previously known through other means, despite having been withheld from the public's eye in the lawsuit. Many of the names belong to people who have not been accused of wrongdoing, including Clinton, 
who was uh, also, excuse me, who also declined to ask the court to have his name uh, remain sealed. A spokesperson for Clinton also denied claims in one of the documents that the alleged former president and and Epstein had a close personal relationship. So he says, no, that's not my boy. Um, Then there's a a photo here of President Clinton. Looks like he's waiting in a a waiting area. Looks like a private airport. Let's see here. Yep, small airport in Portugal during a fuel stop for Jeffrey Epstein's Boeing 727, which was bound for Africa from New York. And it looks like... uh, uh, he was getting a massage from Chantel Davies back in 2002. They're in a public place. Everybody has their clothes on. And uh, look, it's going to take a little bit more than a photo of a guy getting a massage from um, from a young lady in a chair in a waiting room of an airport. All right. That's not going to do it for me for, for this one. I, I got to tell you, Clinton doesn't. He's got all his clothes on. He looks like he's behaving himself. She looks like she's enjoying giving the massage. Uh, everything looks on the up and up, honestly. Anyway, now some of the other names that are unsealed um, include Glenn Dubin, uh, his his f- former private chef, Ronaldo Rizzo, and let's see, blah, blah, blah. This is getting into the weeds. I don't want to get into all that. I got Copperfield, Clinton. I got another one here. Point is, now we know there's some people out there, and these are going to be questions. I think Trump is going to definitely need to get out in front of this because there's going to be a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of maligning. They're going to uh, claim that he did this, he did that, he did the other. And um, I'm sure I haven't checked Truth Social. Uh, Shame on me for not doing that just yet. I was stuck in a world of traffic and kind of ran right to the microphone. I hate cutting it close, but I did. Now, let me see here. I'm opening this up in real time here. This is in Newsweek now. Dozens of names. Epstein, Virginia Jufrey, blah, 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 blah. She's serving 20, a uh, 20 year prison sentence. And Mr. Hinton, anything. Oh, the full list. Oh yeah. Wow. Look at this. All right. So we got 90 people from the list. The Duke of York, Daniel Wilson, Bruce Willis, Courtney Wilde, Jared Weisfield, Vicki Ward. Uh, let's see. Do I know any of these people? Let's see. Kevin Thompson, Brent Tidal. Mark Tafoya, Sky Roberts, Scott Rothstein, Forrest Sawyer, Doug Schodel, Kevin Spacey, Mary Paluja, Joe Pagano. I don't know these people. Sorry, I'm not that cultured. Forgive me. Forgive me, Governor. Let's see. George Lucas. Oh, there you go. Star Wars. Uh, let me see. Stephen Hawking. Now, what was Stephen Hawking doing there? Al Gore. He was there checking out climate change and what was going on with the uh, with the polar bears for his show. Dershowitz, I think he's already talked about this. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I did not know about. But Cameron Diaz, let me, let me tell you something. They told me, hey, you want to go to a party on a private plane in a private island? Cameron Diaz is going to be there? I'm likely to say yes, especially if I don't know who Epstein is at the time. I'm like, sure, Cameron Diaz? Sign me up, bro. Um, now, of course, if I see all sorts of crazy when I get there, I'm going to be like, bro, what's going on? <clears throat> but this is... Um, Oh, look at this, Alexandra Cousteau. I'm guessing she's related to Jacques. And and a number of other people here that I probably don't know, but you probably do. Because you all are more cultured than me. And uh, you pay attention to this stuff. Anyway, these people are all in, uh, not really in a world of hurt, just the ones that are seeking public office or trying to make a move. Bill Clinton, what's he going to do, right? Bill Clinton, I think, has 
has dodged this kind of bullet before. He was kind of applauded by half the country and the other half said, oh my gosh, you've defiled the White House. You've defiled the Oval Office. How dare you? Like in their Greta Thunberg voice way back when in the 90s. And and everybody else was like, come on, you do it too. Come on, come on. Don't kid yourself. Come on. At least the people in my neck of the woods would say that. So um, I don't think, I think right now there's going to be a lot of um, emphasis on Trump. There's going to be a lot of emphasis on the rest of the people that are on here that are related to Biden, anybody in Biden's circle. And uh, we'll see how that continues to unfold. And I'll keep giving you more on this as I get it. I also want to talk about this uh, woman, um, Ms. Gay, Claudine Gay, uh, because apparently she's been accused by certain individuals of taking their work while uh, some media networks were out there trying to soften the blow, saying, no, she was sloppy in her citations. It's not, it's not like she stole the work. Well, apparently there are some academics out there saying, this person has lifted my ideas in the past. And we're going to learn about that in a little bit. So keep it locked right there. Give me a call, by the way. If you want to join the program, our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be doing calls um, as, as often as we can. Oh, look at this. Number 82, Crescenda Valdez with an S. I don't know any Crescendas in my family, but uh, if I find one, I'm definitely uh, I'm going to give her uh, uh, an earful. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. University, making it history by naming its first black president. Well, for the first time in history, a black woman will lead Harvard University. Some more good news here. A Stanford alum and former professor has been named Harvard University's first black president. Their very first president of color. She will be the first person of color. First president of color. Claudine Gay will be the first president of color and second female president in the school's history. She's also only the second woman to hold that position. She will be the second woman and the first black person to lead the university. She was born to Haitian immigrants. The daughter of Haitian immigrants, Professor Gay is a widely admired higher educated, uh, higher education leader and recognized as a highly influential expert on American political participation. So that's the scoop on uh, the, the reception that Claudine Gay received. And of course, now she's um, resigned in disgrace and I thought to myself, you know, typically people double down, right? Uh, the only people who bow out uh, after they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar, you know, even if they double down a little bit, guys like Joe Biden when he was a plagiarist uh, in his presidential campaign or what's his name, Deval Patrick, when he, he got caught out there taking somebody's speech. And this woman, what was it, a week? And a week during Christmas at that. And then all of a sudden, voila, she's all right, I'm out of here, guys, I'm out of here. I don't know the deal. But we've got a guest that understands this better than most, Dr. Carol M. Swain, Ph.D. She's a former tenured professor at Vanderbilt and Princeton Universities. She's the author of The Adversity of Diversity. Give her a follow on all of the social media at Carol M. Swain. Dr. Swain, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I'd like to get your 
your initial reaction. I want to hear all about the book as well, but I want to get your reaction because uh, I, I understand that you've 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 um, you've this is you've come across this problem with Professor Gay in the past. My my life was upended December tenth when my phone started to ring and emails telling me to go to Chris Rufo's Twitter account where I discovered that I was among the, you know, what became a growing number of people who was who were plagiarized by Claudine Gay. Hmm. And I believe I'm the first one uh, who ceased calling her Dr. Gay. To earn a doctorate, you have to defend a dissertation that has some original ideas in it, and it has to be your work. If your right. dissertation is plagiarized, I've made the uh, argument that maybe you're not a doctor. This is a pretty, uh, I think you raise an incredibly important point here. Uh, the legitimacy of one's academic credentials. And I would take it a step further and say, lots of people lie on their resume. Lots of people inflate their education to get a new job. It happens a lot. However, me and my tinfoil hat Every now and again, I think, well, if this is what we know now, what is it that we don't know? And I'm thinking, well, think, could it be that yeah. that a lot of these leaders are not folks like you that have put in the work and defended your original thesis, but that have been propped up and put in a certain place for whatever reason? Well, we know that many people who have been in positions of, uh, of power or own jobs get exposed that they uh, padded their resume. They don't have the degrees they say uh, they said they had. And it didn't matter how well they did the job. They were fired immediately for their transgression. And in the past, journalists, as well as professors, if they were caught plagiarizing their work, they would be dismissed. And so it mm -hmm. wouldn't be, you know, this nice little resignation. You stay on the faculty and you continue to get paid, you know, and I've raised right. some of money. Yeah. And, and, you know, what I understand, and again, I've, I've never been an academic, but I worked as an administrator for a little while in a small um, uh, four-year school. And I can tell you that uh, academic integrity was a very serious thing. And, and there was very little distinction. Maybe some professors, because of the academic freedom they had, would choose to have grace. But there was very little distinction from the policy on plagiarism on whether you were faulty in citing your sources sloppy as some networks have put it, or if you were just straight up stealing somebody else's work because the, the outcome was the same. It was plagiarism. They didn't have two different words for those two different offenses. It was the same offense. Is that a fair statement? It is a fair state statement. And until Harvard muddied the waters by trying to redefine plagiarism, if a student was called plagiarizing, depending on if I would say whether it was a freshman, whether it was uh, something that the professor thought was accidental, they would probably get an F on that paper, and they might be suspended from the institution, depending on how serious it was. And if it were a senior thesis or a dissertation, I'm pretty sure that they would uh, be dealt with harshly. In the case of Claudine Gay, the institution allowed her to go back to some of her papers, not all of them, 
but to go back to some of her papers to make corrections, retroactive uh, corrections <laughs> after kind. she was caught. That's so nice of them. It sounds like some of the pro-crime progressive prosecutors that choose to not prosecute criminals when they, uh, when they see them, you know, doing the wrong thing. This is uh, well, crazy. Well, another thing. Sure. The, another thing about it is that, for one thing, I've never heard of that ever <clears throat> being done in the past. And so I don't know if they're setting a new low standard. Mm-hmm. I don't know how all those professors who said they didn't have a problem with her pleasurizing their work will deal with the students that they have to face every day uh, in the classroom. And it's totally irresponsible of so many uh, professors or people in academia to all of a sudden say pleasurism is not serious when it, when it involves Claudine Gay. And, 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 and by doing that, they're really lowering the standards for academia, academic standards, uh, for students, and it will have a ripple effect. I've been saying that it will not just impact other colleges colleges and universities, but also K through 12 education. So they're really undermining their own profession by saying that academic integrity no longer matters if you're black. And in the case of Claudine Gay, there's no sympathy that should be extended extended to her because she has no excuses. She went to Phillips Exeter Academy for her high school, and she has a undergraduate degree from Stanford. She attended Princeton for a while. She has her PhD from Harvard. She has been at world-class institutions. What is her excuse? And she... Uh, penned an op-ed piece this afternoon where she said that people had implied that she was pretty much dumb. But you'd have to be pretty dumb and not brilliant <laughs> to be uh, associated with almost 50, and then by some accounts more than 50, incidents of pleasurism. Right. Yesterday it was something like 40, and I was astounded. How do you become president like that? Uh, Dr. Swain, stick around. I want to get your uh, a little bit on your bio uh, for the listeners who are being introduced to you for the first time and a little bit more analysis on this because I think it's remarkable. Folks, we're on with Dr. Carol Swain, and she's a former tenured professor at Vanderbilt and Princeton University, and she's the author of The Adversity of Diversity. And I want you to hear about this book straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Is night. This is Rich Valdez. 
This is an attack on diversity. This is an attack on multiculturalism and on many of the values that a lot of us hold dear. And in fact, anybody really who is around my age in their 30s who went to any uh, public, major public university or private university in this country, you know, these are values that are very important. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's why these presidents are under attack. That's why Claudine de Gay was under attack. The fact that she's a black woman and the first person uh, who is a, a black American to lead Harvard uh, only added to their thirst to dethrone her. So this is this is particularly troublesome to me. That's Maragay, by the way. Uh, Maragay, no relation to Claudine Gay, as far as I know, uh, from the New York Times on the um, morning joke on MSNBC. She says that her resignation, because she wasn't fired, right? She, she resigned on her own, uh, whether she was forced to, you know, she could have made a stink of it. She, this is racism. And I say, it's not racism when the professor that we have on the line, a black woman who earned every every last bit of her education because I've seen the documentary and it's 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 a very inspiring one. It's not racist when the Claudine Gay steals her work. Folks, we are on with Dr. Carol Swain. And um, th this truly is something I think is, is a, a very big deal. And she's the author, by the way, of The Adversity of Diversity. And I want to make sure we talk about this book. And I want to make sure you get a copy of the book. Get two, I always say, because one for yourself, one to give away. Uh, I think it's important to have that conversation. But Dr. Swain, you, you've heard what Mara Gay just said. And I don't agree with what she said. I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. I mean, I think it's uh, pathetic and sad and unfortunate for America that so many black people in positions of power believe that they have to play the race card. And they seem to fight against other black people being held to high standards. And in the case of Claudine Gay, being able to retain her job at Harvard, she was given a very soft landing. If it had been a white male or female, or if it had been maybe a different institution, she would have been fired. She should have been fired. And it would have nothing to do with racism. It would have to do with her violating objective standards. Excuse me. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, it's to me, it's particularly egregious that everything has to be racist at some point. Um, and, and I think that's wrong. And, and I think for folks who, who are, may not be familiar with you, if it's the first time you've been on this program, um, I, I've admired your work for quite some time. Would you share a little bit about uh, your background and, and how you came to, to getting the level of education that you have today? Right. I have a totally non-traditional uh, background, first-generation um, uh, college uh, a student and graduate. I was one of 12 children born and raised in rural poverty in southwestern Virginia. I dropped out of school after completing the eighth grade. I married at age 16, had my first child at 17. By the time I was 21, I had three small children, and people came into my life. Uh, one was a medical doctor, and another one was an African orderly. 
at a nursing home where I worked, the um, medical doctor told me that I was intelligent and attractive. I could do more with my life. At that time, I was struggling with depression, suicide gestures, and the African orderly told me that he went to college with a lot of people who weren't as smart as I was. I should go to college. And I had mentors along the way that really uh, pushed me, and my mentors did not look like me. Many of them were, you know, white men, older white men, and this was during the 70s and 80s. So uh, there weren't that many female faculty members and very few black faculty members, but I was pushed and encouraged to continue my education, and I graduated magna cum laude from Ronald College in Salem, Virginia, while working full-time nights and weekends at the Community College Library. And um, and while I was... Well, thank you. And I have always not wanted to be, you know, the affirmative action person. I've always worked hard, uh, you know, trying to excel. But I've also been blessed with uh, creativity. Uh, I have had my ideas stolen before. And in the case of Claudine Gay... She, I mean, based on what I see, I've read her dissertation, I've read her uh, some of her articles, and I read them because part of my contention is not only did she uh, steal two uh, passages from my work, and one from my prize-winning first book that won the highest prize a political scientist can win, and won three national prizes, was cited by the U- U.S. Supreme Court. It was the path-breaking seminal book on black congressional representation, and it is what earned me tenure at Princeton, but it has um, been the basis for many scholars to expand the work. It, w- it was the seminal work in the field. Claudine right. Gay uh, moved into that area, and in her dissertation, she borrows uh, ideas, as well as language from the book without properly giving it attribution and her early articles, she might have my book or she does have my book listed in her bibliography, but she doesn't engage the ideas. Her research questions, all of her early work was clearly motivated by my work on representation. And it was not given the proper citation uh, that would have been expected of a of an intellectually honest scholar. So she's not intellectually honest uh, in addition to just being a pleasurizer. That's something. What, how does that make you feel? Do you, do you, is it like the old saying, um, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, or do you feel insulted like I did all the work and you're getting all the praise? Well, in the beginning, uh, when I first heard about it, I joked on social media Imitation is, you know, the highest form of flattery. I wanted to gather information, and so I didn't want to jump to conclusions. I thought it could have been accidental. So uh, the next day, I started reading her work, and then I became very troubled because I saw that, you know, that many of my ideas were in her work, but it was not cited. And, you know, stealing ideas is different from plagiarism. There's no... Um, plagiarism is can be uh, legally dealt with through yeah. copyright infringement when it's ver- verbatim. 
but it's much harder to deal with stealing ideas. And in academia, your statue depends on how many citations you get. If you have someone that's borrowing from your work and they're not citing you or they're not adequately right. citing you, it harms you over time. And so that was one of the ways I was harmed. The other way I would say I was harmed was my work had a major impact on voting rights law. It was, you know, it was, it was the book and it, uh, it, it influenced many court cases where Claudine Gay in her dissertation, she tries to, uh, she, she tries to really counter my work without saying that's what she's doing. So she gets the idea of the project, but she's trying to come out uh, with an opposite result. And that's what she does also in that in that paper on uh, congressional representation where people contend that she fabricated her data and she has not allowed other scholars to examine her data because if they examine her data, they may find out that what she considers her path-breaking work uh, actually is not supported by the data. And so there are lots of problems right. with Claudine Gay. It's like her whole record starting with her dissertation is suspect. She is not somebody, she's not brilliant and Claudine Gay does not belong in the same sentence. It sounds like doctor doesn't either, as you uh, pointed out very aptly. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't uh, think doctor, so. And you know, all this, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, we're going to be up against a break in a moment and I want to be respectful of your time, but any way that you, I could uh, twist your arm to stick around for a few more minutes? All right. You did all right. Thank you. Uh, it's very gracious of you because uh, I want everybody to hear about your book, The Adversity of Diversity, because I can't imagine being a, uh, um, a strong conservative black woman professor. Uh, it, it's that, that string of words. There's not many. Right. And I, I, there's got to be a lot of challenges that have gone along with that. And I'm sure some of that's chronicled in the book. Folks, we're on with Dr. Carol Swain. Uh, she is a former tenured professor at Vanderbilt and Princeton Universities and the author of The Adversity of Diversity. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Dr. Carol Swain, former tenured professor at Vanderbilt and Princeton Universities and the author of The Adversity of Diversity. Dr. Swain, I want to take a few minutes, um, and I appreciate you uh, allowing me to twist your arm, proverbially, to uh, learn more about this book. I think it's an important work, and I want you to tell us about it. What inspired this book? Well, first of all, I saw what was happening with CRT, critical race theory, mm -hmm. and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I felt that the Supreme Court would have to act to strike it down because it was clearly violating the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, and religion. Uh, back in 1964, it's been expanded now to include disabilities. But it was a clear violation of of the Civil Rights Act and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So my gamble was 
that the Supreme Court would strike down race-based college admissions and that they would uphold the rights of the Asian students who filed lawsuits against Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. Uh, and so that, that's what motivated uh, the book. It was 90% written by the end of June, and then I had to wait until the uh, decision came down to finish uh, the book. Right. And and I just have a uh, a co-author with the book, but it's 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 my book. The co-author is a friend of mine who has all the he he was a reporter with the Tennessean and he got downsized. He's a white male, so he kind of lost his job and he does editing as well as publishing books. And so that book is self-published. That was how we were able to get it out so quickly. It was out by August. But nice. it faced such opposition. Uh, at first, Amazon would not put it up. Amazon is the largest wow. bookseller in the world. And it took them eight or nine days before they would post it. Then they said it could not be reviewed. Very important to get reviews for books that are on Amazon. Amazon, and I had to appeal. Uh, each time I had to appeal, and then they told people it would take them three months to get the book. And again, uh, they delayed, 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 delayed. And I felt that behind the scenes there must have been some DEI person that flagged the book, uh, and and it's just been total opposition. And I can tell you that. Since the Claudine Gay scandal, the book has done really well because people are interested in DEI. Amen to that. That's fantastic. And again, I want to encourage everybody. I'm looking at it right now on Amazon.com. Uh, go and check it out. The Adversity of Diversity. Uh, the paperback is the one I'm looking at, but I'm sure you can get whichever version you want to get. Um, just look for it and find it. The author is Carol M. Swain. Now, in addition to Amazon, is there any uh, personalized site that you recommend people go to to get a signed copy or to follow yeah. the work that you're doing? Yes, if you go to my website and click on books, it goes to a Christian bookstore. I also want people to to know that I dealt with the elephant in the room. My second chapter is about my journey in an affirmative action-infused world because obviously uh, – I got my opportunities after affirmative action became the law of the land. But I would argue that early on, it was really about non-discrimination, equal opportunity, and outreach. And so people like me got our feet in the door, but you had to prove yourself. And I'm part of a generation of black people and probably women uh, and other uh, groups that we felt that we had to work hard harder because we wanted to excel and uh, and we were able to move up because we were hard workers and I know for myself um, I mean I, 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 I don't lie in bed or worry about well were my accomplishments affirmative action I can tell you that from the very beginning I had people stealing my ideas and there were many courses large courses like those in psychology where you might have 100, 200 students, where I would have the highest grade. And so I don't doubt my own intellect, 
but I did come from poverty. I did not get a world-class education like Claudine Gay. I spent a lot of time uh, self-teaching myself because I dropped out of school after completing the eighth grade. And so there was so much I missed. And I took remedial math while I was at the community college. Mm. And, 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 and for many, many years, and even now, you know, I consult uh, grammar books and English books when I need to. I mean, the, the resources are there. I take advantage of the resources. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a product of the American dream, but mm. I've worked very hard. I've earned it. And I've also fought for other people and what I'm doing today with my life. I'm fighting for equal opportunity and non-discrimination for every American. I believe that, that we should treat each other. Well, I mean, we all part of the human race and there's no place for discrimination. And I think it's very unfortunate that progressives have lowered the standards to the point that they basically say, if you're black, it's okay for you to commit certain crimes or or you should, you're a victim and it's okay. And right. now in academia to try to lower the standards for someone who's had a world-class education, I'm told she comes from one of the wealthiest families in Haiti <laughs> and we're supposed to feel sorry for this person. Unbelievable. Folks, we are on with Dr. Carol M. Swain. She's the author of The Adversity of Diversity. She's a true American dream, if I've ever seen one. Dr. Swain, I want to thank you for your time. Give her a follow at Carol M. Swain on social media. Visit her website, carolmswain.com. Uh, Dr. Swain, you are, in every sense, a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thank you. Thank you, and you have a good night. Bye. You too. Happy New Year. All right, folks, keep it locked right here. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, you can dial in 833-482-5337. Let's go to our buddy Lance, Galloway, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Lance, go right ahead. Hey, gracious good evening, Rick. And it was great to hear Dr. Carl Swain speaking with you. Uh, Aside from her being on your show and many other shows this past week, Dr. Thomas Sowell, I think you had him on once before last year. Uh, from Stanford University and the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, but he's a legend. Question, I was, yeah, I, and you would think that the contemporary young black scholars would, like, you know, go to these people and ask them. And that's one thing I wanted to, like, propose to Dr. Swain. How come nobody, you know, she was, her, her thesis wasn't allowed to go through a peer review of her own peers? And what I also I wanted to just say in regards to it is that yep. it's Martin Luther King weekend coming up. And yes. one thing Dr. King said was that he wished his children would be judged on their, not the color of their skin, but the, but the content. content of their character. Amen to that, Lance. Thank you. Happy New Year. Folks, hour number two is coming up straight ahead. It's me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program Wednesday night. If you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, I hope you do. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And there's a number of things happening in the world, and we like to talk about the news that's going on in the world here at night. That's what we do. And there's plenty, right? There's plenty. And I like to kind of go off the beaten path and stray away from some of the big stories. We talked a little bit about the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I get it. Okay, super. Ultimately, I think you're going to need some very um, damning information not that's a little more than names on a list maybe I, i'm i'm not preaching to the choir now but i just don't see it you know if you're going to tell me the, the 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 red hot evidence against bill clinton you know somebody saying he likes him young this man had an affair with an intern that was 26 years younger than him and she was a full blown legal adult so to say you like him young shoot you know my last girlfriend was 8 years younger than me uh, am I Slick Willie? Am I uh, on Epstein's jet? No, but uh, you need more than that. I, I think it's one of those things that is just kind of uh, kind of crazy, honestly. If you're going to make all these allegations, you gotta you gotta bring it right, and and you need to bring it. What we need is Ghislaine Maxwell to tell the truth. Anyway, there's other things happening in the world that I want to continue to talk about. I want to talk about what's going on with global affairs, right? What's going on? in in europe not so much ukraine and 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 russia um but more so the movement that we see right there's a movement right there's there's a uh there was an election was it last year maybe victor orban um conservative and there seems to be a movement in italy conservative elected uh and a number of other places throughout europe there seems to be uh conservatives that are getting elected because i think people are tired of the agenda that they're being fed. At least that's my contention. But I, I want to get it from somebody who's an expert in this area, Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell, president of Counterpoint Institute for Policy Research and Education and the author of Last Warning to the West, Hungary's Triumph Over Communism and the Woke Agenda. Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell, welcome to the program. Hey, Happy New Year, Rich. Thank you happy for having New me Year on. To you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate you making the time to stay up late and uh, have a chat with us because these are things that, you know, the the dynamic of our program, since we have longer segments and we're able to have a more in-depth conversation, allows for some of these topics that, you know, sometimes television only gives you five or six minutes and it's hard to get a real big idea out in five minutes. So I, I want to talk about your book and I want to talk about uh, Counterpoint Institute and uh, and I want to, you know, kind of connect the dots between all of those things. So tell uh, all of us a little bit about why uh, you argue in your book that what we're seeing in Hungary is the last warning to the West. 
Rich, thank you for bringing that up. And you were just talking about Prime Minister Orban. And they, Hungary has taken a stance against the woke agenda that the European Union and the Biden administration is trying to force on them. So I, I want everybody to understand that because they get knocked down in the mainstream media, much like conservatives do here in the United States. But there are reasons for that. And I can talk about that in a minute, but let me explain what you just brought up. Um, I I went to Hungary to do research for this book, trying to understand why Hungary had had shot up in in the news and the media as much hated by the leftist media uh, and the administration here currently as much loved at the same time by conservatives. And, you know, what came out of it was was deeper for me because what people kept saying to me was that the rhetoric coming out of the United States reminded them, reminded the Hungarians of their time during their Soviet era. They were occupied by the Soviet Union from 1945 to 1991. And the more that I dug into that, the more I understood what they meant because there's so much going on here in the so-called progressive agenda that it is that is exactly um, parallel to communism. We see the diminishment of parental rights. I mean, we're dealing with that constantly, especially with the transgender issues here in the United States. We see divisiveness being put between races, between gender, between parents and their children. That is a communist technique. Um, Legalized abortion on demand promoted as health care. That's actually out of the Bolshevik playbook. Um, I could go on and on, Rich. Actually, I, I also found some documents from 1959 that were put out by our Department of Defense. And tell our Department of Defense, I'm sorry? I said, tell me more. Yeah. Well, 11 points on communist psychological warfare that if you, and they're in my book, Last Warning to the West, if you look at these points, Every single one of them applies to the United States today. And I'd love to tell you more about those. Um, but I want to say this before I forget, because sure. a lot of people are like, why, why should I listen to you? Who cares? You know, right. well, I have a lot of experience. But beyond that, look at the endorsements on my book. Carrie Lake actually wrote the Ford, And it has been endorsed on the back of the book with book reviews by Tucker Carlson, uh, General Michael Flynn. Lou Dobbs, Representative Paul Gosar, who are all concerned with the decline of America, because this Ameri- this book is actually, it's about Hungary and their experience, but is using their experience to warn America that we are headed towards the same communis- communism that they were uh, experiencing under occupation. Yeah, and what's, what's so scary about it, Doc, is that people, uh, the left, will Anytime there's any critique, you say communism right away, they come out and they will say that you're either a a crony capitalist or that you're just a racist. Right. That's typically how it is. This is how they torch uh, Orban and anybody else uh, that that says anything that goes against their agenda. And I agree with you. This idea of divide and conquer is is literally um, communist playbook 101. And I always find it interesting. I have some friends that are from Poland. And even though they didn't experience it, they have grandparents that put the fear of God into them to know how to smell communism a mile away. 
And yeah. and I'm grateful for them, right? They they know stuff that yeah. I don't know. I didn't have family that that experienced communism, and and it just it's remarkable to me that so few listen. That there there's still some people that are willing to entertain that when Poland was in the position that it was in, that Europe went through what it went through, and I think you know Americans either are just historically illiterate or willing to flirt with the danger of communism. Either way, unacceptable to me. Doc, I want to. Um, get into these points that you mentioned and a couple of other points on your book. As soon as we come back, I want to remind people about the book and your website. We're on with Dr. Shay Bradley Farrell, and she's the author of the book, Last Warning to the West, Hungary's Triumph Over Communism and the Woke Agenda. And the website uh, for her organization is counterpointinstitute.org. Make sure you check that out. Give her a follow. We're coming right back with Dr. Shay Bradley Farrell. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're having a discussion with Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell. She's president of Counterpoint Institute for Policy Research and Education, and she's written the book Last Warning to the West, Hungary's Triumph Over Communism and the Woke Agenda. Now, uh, Doc, you mentioned earlier some stuff that was read into the congressional record back in the days, almost like a uh, um, a prophecy, if you will, or you know, some sort of premonition um, half a decade earlier and whatnot. And and here we are, you know, more than half a decade later, and so much of it is becoming reality. What are your thoughts, uh, Rich? You're referring to the communist psychological warfare, right? You want to talk yes, about ma'am. that? Yep. Yeah, so in 1959, our Department of Defense actually put out the strategy lesson to teach our security experts how to spot communist psychological warfare. And like I said, all 11 points, they're in my book, and they all apply to what's going on in in the United States of America today. And one of them, for example, is using a crisis to gain control. So we know what happened during COVID, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. That was used to uh, lock down people, to force vaccine mandates, and to gain more control over the lives of people. That was one of them. We could talk about that one for a long time. Another one of the points is creating a propaganda body that promotes the uh, message of the centralized government (laughs) um, to the people who don't believe in it. And we see that happening with the mainstream media and the Biden administration that has become very close to the media, even the social media, talking to 
social media and collaborating with social media to, if you remember, like to push down people who were talking about the election, right. to push down people who had differing views on COVID. So that's an example. And last one I'll give you, and, and then I'll just have to send you a book so you can read all of them. <laughs> but another one is to absolutely, how do you describe this? Kill the will of uh, your opponent to really just push on, uh, press them so much that they become despondent and depressed. And if you look at what is going on with the Biden administration and their political opponents, you see this happening. It's my opinion, uh, for example, that the indictments of President Donald Trump have been very much like the show trials of the Soviet Union that were going on uh, during this time period. I had a historian that was taking me around something called the uh, Terror House, the House of Terror in Hungary, that explained to me the way that these show trials were used. And and I, I said, well, why did they have to blame people for things that they didn't do? Couldn't they just throw them in, in prison? Because that's what they were doing, torturing them, killing right. them. And the historian said to me, yes, they could do that. But then the public would not believe that they were guilty. They had to build public opinion of their a political opposition being guilty. And we see that, uh, in my opinion, with the Trump indictments. And so... Yeah. Anyway, I could go on and on, Rich, but I'll pause there. But you, you see how, how these points correlate to the U.S. today. Oh, 100%. And, and I think every, you know, whether it's the Trump indictment or, or all of those in Trump orbit, right, that, that are some, somehow just simply related uh, professionally or some other way to Trump, that they end up getting all sorts of, of, of legal action taken against them in this lawfare that they're exactly. using to try and get everybody and, and, and the censorship, right. And the censorship is absolutely, yeah. um, what's crazy about it is not that they're doing it because you expect bad people to do bad things, but it's what you just mentioned. It's the way they go about it. Whereas they almost popularize it in culture where it's like, Hey, we're, we're going after these climate deniers. We're going after these Trumpers, these, uh, what are they? Radical, um, what do they call them? Uh, MAGA extremists, right? And, and, and it's domestic this othering. Terrorists. Yeah. Yeah, domestic violent extremists. Yeah, yeah. All these different titles that it, it is just scary. So when people pick up a copy of your book, what are some of the biggest takeaways uh, that they uh, walk away with? I want people to understand where we're headed down because I think Americans don't remember what it's like not to be free. And what I learned from the Hungarians is that they do remember because they were under Soviet occupation for 46 years. The year before that, they were under Nazi occupation. So I want Americans to understand the seriousness of having our freedoms taken away. That's actually one thing that this security expert that wrote the points that I talked to you about, uh, communist psychological warfare points, right. he said that, that Americans were... Um, kind of slowly dissolving into this, this place where their freedoms were, were being taken away. And Americans needed to understand that. So that's why I wrote the, the book specifically for Americans, because Rich, you know, I came to DC about seven and a half years ago, actually to work in international development, not to be a conservative leader, <laughs> last thing on my mind. 
But I realized that uh, with the things that were going on in Congress and uh, with a, a lot of the institutions here in D.C., I, we were losing our freedom. Like Reagan said, we're, we're just a generation away. And, and it's true. I didn't realize it, but it's very true. It's a shame is what it is. Now, in the couple of minutes we have left, I want you to tell us about Counterpoint Institute and what what uh, inspired you to start the organization and what the main focus of all of your work is. I appreciate that. Well, the main inspiration was what I just said. I, I want uh, I want to educate Americans and tell them the truth about what's going on in our national security and our foreign policy. Uh, for example, you know, I just uncovered a, a whole bunch of things that were, are going on in the Biden State Department right now where we are funding transgenderism all over the world. And most Americans just don't know that. But at Counterpoint Institute, we don't sit around just writing great policy papers, which we do that. But we go down to the border. We've spent weeks on the U.S. southern border uncovering what is going down on there. We are one of the organizations that brought to light that the Biden administration was covering up the fact that record numbers of illegal immigrants, immigrant, excuse me, were dying coming across our border. That's for an example. You know, I have been in the, U, in the um, Ukrainian refugee center in Hungary, finding out what was really happening there in Ukraine and with the refugees and I have strong opinions about that. I wrote an article last week that came out in Real Clear Politics about Ukraine. Um, but anyway, that's probably for another show at another time. But point is, we go around the world to tell Americans why international affairs and our foreign policy, how it's affecting them. That's the point of our foreign policy and aid. Is, is it in Americans, Americans' interest or is it not? And that's what we find out. Outstanding. And let everybody know how they can find you online. I appreciate that, Rich. It's uh, counterpointinstitute.org. Sign up, please, for our newsletter. It's only two or three times a month. Follow us on social media. I am at, at Dr. Shea underscore DC in Instagram and on X and uh, Counterpoint DC and Counterpoint Institute. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Rich. Oh, you're welcome, Dr. Shea. Folks, that's Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell. I appreciate your time. Godspeed to you and all the work that you're doing. Check her out at counterpointinstitute.org and get a copy or two of her book, Last Warning to the West. Folks, we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome back. And uh, we continue our uh, conversations on all the things that are happening in the world, uh, especially right here at night, live. Our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337. And I want to get into a conversation on why health insurance premiums are so high, right? Because I don't know about you, but I keep getting these emails about open enrollment right now. It's This is the time to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I'm just waiting for them to send me something saying, hey, here's your new policy number. This is what it is, or your new policy cost 
And it's it's always a, a, a subject of concern. And to be frank, there's a few things in life I don't understand. Like, I understand the Fed and inflation as much as, I guess, maybe the next guy that's not an economist. But at the end of the day, I, I always want some economists to explain it to me because it makes that much more sense. And I think you might, too. And somebody that spent time in Congress is a nurse and was the chairwoman for the Consumer Product Safety Commission is Anne-Marie Burkle. And she's got uh, an understanding of this that I definitely don't have. So Anne-Marie Burkle, Congresswoman, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And I wanted to um, uh, get your, your sense on what's going on on the the cost of of healthcare obviously it goes up i think everybody knows it's going up um but is it just the insurance companies asking for more is it the insurance companies just making more uh or is there um, a, a reason behind it a legitimate reason i should say well thank you and and i think healthcare is is really a subject that affects all of us, whether you are well or whether you have an illness in your family. Right. Everyone's concerned about it. And, and it's something, um, the cost of health care, just as you mentioned, this is the enrollment period now. People have gone and they've noticed that their premiums are 7% higher than they were last year. And you say, well, what, why? Well, let's look, just look at the cost of most things um, this, this year. Uh, it, they say inflation has slowed a bit, and yes, it has, but inflation continues. Um, the cost of gasoline, the cost to heat your house, the cost of food, everything is up, including health care. And probably the biggest driver of the cost of health care and really something that affected how expensive it is, is the Affordable Care Act. And we predicted that would happen 10, 11 years ago when the Affordable Care Act was passed. It said it was going to drive up costs. And in fact, it did. Um, but then, of course, there's many other factors that go into that. But we are where we are. And I get frustrated because I feel like the Republicans aren't paying as close attention to this issue as they should be. Um, and they really should be laser focused on getting the cost of health care down for the American people. It's something that, that they're all very, very concerned about. Well, so what's I think the, there's two- um, the nexus of it? Well, there's two costs for for the two reasons for the cost of healthcare being so high. The first, and really the biggest driver, are hospitals. One of the things that happens with hospitals is that many many hospitals have merged and they've become conglomerates. And so, let me give you an example. I trained as a nurse many years ago here in Syracuse, and I trained at a 400 bed hospital. Well, now that hospital, which used to be standing in the community with ties to the community is now part of a much larger healthcare system called Trinity Health. Now there's 88 hospitals in that system. So now when those hospitals go, let's say, for instance, to negotiate with an insurer about the rates they're going to charge uh, for, you go to the hospital for whatever it is, but let's use a sonogram. You go to the hospital for your sonogram the hospital now has way more leverage to say to the insurance company, if you want sonograms in this area of the state or the, or the city, then you've got to pay this rate because now there's a whole lot of hospitals that got leverage where one hospital on its own didn't have that leverage. So that's a big driver. Um, the fact that they've merged they've, um, and now they're much 
more powerful healthcare systems. And um, so that, that drives up the cost of premium. They have more leverage with that. There's much more um, opportunities for waste, fraud, and abuse when it comes to hospitals and billing um, and the, the costs that are involved with a large hospital system. Um, beyond that, then also with hospitals, we see there's um, many call it dishonest billing. Um, and some in Congress, Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma has introduced legislation. So when you have a large healthcare system and you go to that system, most times the physicians work for the hospital. They're no longer working for themselves. They're part of the system. Do you go in to see your doctor, which should be a lower um, cost than if you just got care at the hospital, but the hospital bills at the um, hospital rate, even though you've only seen the physician. That also helps to drive up uh, the care or the cost of care um, through your insurance company. So a lot of reasons, the more complicated, the bigger these hospital systems are, they're really one of the largest factors as to why healthcare costs are going up. That is, it, it's, it is what it is, right? <laughs> We're going to pay for it no matter what. Uh, folks, we are on with Anne-Marie Burkle and uh, getting a breakdown on what's going on with this increase that everybody's uh, seeing as we're approaching open enrollment for our health insurance. And I want to continue that conversation and also uh, add a couple of uh, other uh, tidbits to this as uh, a former nurse and a former member of Congress could only add. Uh, I want to get the political take on things as well. Straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Anne-Marie Burkle. She's a former congresswoman, former chair of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, and uh, a nurse. And we're talking about health care. And we've got a, a call from Mike in Bowling Green, Kentucky on WKCT with a question uh, for the former congresswoman. Uh, Mike, go right ahead. You're on with Anne-Marie Burkle and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yeah, I'm with Blue Cross Blue Shield. I have their platinum program, and last year my premium was $212. I received a letter in December. My premium actually went down to $176 a month. Wow. Worked out really well for you. Thank you, Mike. And Anne-Marie Burkle, um, is that something a lot of people can look forward to, seeing a decrease? I know. In fact, congratulations, Mike. I think that's that's excellent, and um, it's it's wonderful uh, that your premium went down for whatever reason. Um, but no, that's that's great. I wish and really hope that more more Americans 
cost of premiums will go down. Um, and I'll go back to where I started from, and that is this is something the Republicans should be looking at. The affordability of health care is something that really is on the minds of the American people. In fact, you know, Rich, I saw a poll. I think the number was 31% of the American people said they would switch party and party affiliations if they thought the other party was going to decrease, lower the cost of health care premiums. That's how serious the American people take the cost of health care. Um, and given the fact that, as we talked about earlier, so many other costs have gone up, um, whether it's the cost of fuel or gasoline for your car, a lot of people are just having to make decisions as to what they can or cannot afford. And so uh, that's never a good situation. We want, you know, we really, and I implore my Republican colleagues to really take this issue seriously and don't let the Democrats have this be their issue because their solutions, as we saw with the Affordable Care Act and most other things, is always government-centered as opposed to allowing the free market to work, you know, introduce free market solutions and really empower the private sector so there's more competition uh, in the healthcare system. And that's that's what I want to see the Republicans do. Amen to that. I hear you. I want to continue. Uh, we have a couple other callers that have some questions for you, and I think this is a really interesting topic. Uh, Elizabeth in Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Uh, go right ahead. You're on with uh, former Congresswoman Anne-Marie Burkle. Yeah. Hi. Uh, good e- evening. My comment is simply I don't ever use the term health care in reference to the money I'm paying. It's only medical care. At no point has a doctor emphasized health um, procedures or how to be healthy at no point. It's all about um, getting sick. <laughs> and I I don't get sick, except uh, three, year, three years ago I did, but very rarely um, is health a priority. Only medical stuff is a priority. So... I, if only they would they would stop calling right. it health care. There's no health involved. It's all medical care. Right. Now, Congresswoman, do, do you think that, and I, I think a lot of people make this point, that uh, Western medicine is focused on, on medicine and, and not on, on good health or prevention or anything like that. Uh, do, you, do you see any shift in that? I, I can't imagine there would be a shift in that given the ability that the United States has to produce, you know, breakthrough medications and, and how many of them we produce and the money attached to it. No, Elizabeth brings up a great point, And that is really a lot of the focus should be on uh, prevention of illness and how to maintain health. And um, this is not something traditionally Western medicine has thought about, but I do think there is, there is a shift you know, as as your listeners know, some insurance companies now will pay for oh, a, a gym membership. Medicare Advantage sometimes will pay for a gym membership or ways to keep healthy and to avoid illness. Um, but that is, there really should be much more of a shift where you're really, as Elizabeth says, focusing on health and not just um, medical care for when you have an illness or a problem. Um, but I, I do want to go back to uh, there. There's another driver for the cost of healthcare, and that's the cost of drugs. 
And that's another problem that Congress mm-hmm. could focus on and they could do some things about. Um, one of the things with drugs is if you can use a bioidentical or you could use a generic drug instead of the name brand drug, that will help to lower the cost. But right now, the same process to have a drug approved goes for the bioidentical or the generic. And so um, Mike Lee, senator from uh, Utah, has introduced legislation to reduce some of that red tape, which would make it um, easier and and a a short, much more uh, shorter period of time to get that drug approved. Um, And that would help to lower the cost of drugs, uh, the use of bioidentical or generic. So something that they could be doing immediately and looking at how can we lower the cost of drugs. You know, it's interesting because as you know, the Republicans, once the Affordable Care Act was passed, they went laser focused on repealing and replacing. How many times did you hear those words when it came to healthcare and the Affordable Care Act? Well, they never were able to do it. And now I feel that, that they're almost afraid to approach the issue because they didn't get it done when, you know, they should have or could have. Now that, that, ship has sailed. So a lot of American people are, I'll say happy. Some are, you know, they've adjusted to the Affordable Care Act and what they're getting uh, through their insurance. And so you can't just tear that away from the American people. So I think it's more of an incremental. It's not a zero-sum game where you either repeal and replace or you don't do anything. There's a lot of things they could do, things we've talked about already, that that would really help to lower the cost of health care. Folks, we're on with uh, former Congresswoman Anne-Marie Burkle, uh, nurse and former uh, chairwoman of the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Uh, We're coming right back with her to wrap up on this topic. And then at the top of the next hour, it's Open Phone America, a time-honored tradition here on this program where you get to call in on this topic and every other topic and uh, have at it. So I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we uh, continue our conversation on what is going on with health care. And something that uh, some of our callers alluded to and something I'm, I'm looking at this piece in the um, in the Washington Examiner that our guest alluded to as well, that Republicans need to uh, to, to do more on this is uh, the gist of the article. And my thinking is. Is this a situation, Congresswoman, where government needs to get out of the way? Or do you think this is a a situation where we need more intervention? Well, I think government has its hand in health care. There's no way around that. And it couldn't, I mean, I don't think you could get them out of it, like with Medicare, Medicaid. 
uh, VA. Those are all healthcare programs that essentially the government runs. But when it comes to sort of the middle or the mainstream healthcare, I think that's where lawmakers have to be concerned that they keep government out of it as much as possible because, you know, without <laughs> without being negative, but just stating the way it is, whenever mm-hmm. government's involved, it increases the costs and um, it, you know, oftentimes leads to a less efficient system because of the bureaucracy and the red tape that government is so famous for creating. And so um, that that's that's a problem. And I think lawmakers really want again it's free market solutions it's increasing it's increasing competition it's introducing the concept of competition because when systems compete that's how you know whoever performs the best that's who the consumer will choose and that's how we you know we can begin to get these healthcare costs down and i think another thing cuz we talked about the two drivers of healthcare uh, costs one hospitals and two drugs but when it comes to hospitals, you know, many of these large hospital systems, they have a not-for-profit status. So they're not paying taxes. Um, and, you know, many folks on your call, on your show listening know what CEOs of hospitals are being paid. Sure. I think that there needs to be more transparency and accountability when it comes to hospitals, how they charge and what they charge and how they run their systems. Maybe it's time, you know, that some of the hospitals begin to pay taxes, and that's something that the lawmakers should be looking at. Interesting. All right. I think the argument posed would be, well, if they become businesses, they'll act more like businesses. And the same argument would hold that they're already acting like businesses, so you might as well treat them like them. Uh, it, makes, <laughs> it makes some sense. It's a catch-22 like everything in Washington. Now, if folks want to learn more about the work that you're doing, where do they go? Uh, they can Google me. My last name is Burkle, B-U-E-R-K-L-E, and you'll see I've written several articles about Healthcare. Um, I'm also on Twitter, and uh, Rich, I will send you that um, my Twitter handle, so you have that. If you have a place where you post things, sure. Um, and your listeners can get that. Um, I am out. At, I guess it's X now. That uh, yeah, we, that's what they um, call it now. <laughs> we X out or tweet out our article, the articles I've written. Um, but I do think that healthcare is something the Republicans need to get serious about. One of the other issues we've had. Um, is that in the Senate, the chairman of the HELP Committee, the Committee of Jurisdiction for Healthcare in this country, is run and chaired by Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont. Oh, good Lord. Well, Senator, yes, so Senator Sanders has been very open and honest about what he wants, which is a single-payer system in this country. And so Republicans need to understand whenever he's leading the way with his ideas, that's probably the wrong direction, and they really need to get back to the free market solution. Thank you, Congresswoman. I appreciate it. Folks, Congresswoman Anne-Marie Burkle, thank you for being with us. I appreciate the information. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. Godspeed to you. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up right after this. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. I'll be right back. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you guys. Our number three, Open Phone America, our phone number is 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Of course, I want to give a shout to the legacy line, 866-50-JIMBO, 866-505-4626. Um, still active and will be as long as I have a say in it. Feel free to give either one of those a call. Looking forward to speaking with you guys tonight. And Happy New Year to everybody who's just coming back. I, I had some travel plans uh, for the holidays. And a bunch of things happened where I couldn't do the trip that I wanted to do during the time that I was away. And I had to change it for this upcoming weekend. And it's going to encompass a couple of days. And I feel guilty about that because I feel like, all right, we're back from New Year. And then I'm taking a, uh, you know, uh, another extended weekend. Um, but it, that was kind of out of my control. But I'm going to be getting away for the weekend. And, and it's funny, I woke up today and I, I, I felt like uh, I was losing my voice. And I was like, oh, my gosh, am I going to be able to do the show? But I was able to do the show. I'm here. I'm doing the show. But, um, you know, with the weather changes and whatnot and it being so uh, uncharacteristically mild, for this time of year in the New York area. Uh, I feel like that that's making a lot of people either sick or have allergic reactions or, I mean, there's, there's still like leaves all over the place. It's January, you know, uh, uh, I don't remember snow anymore and I'm grateful. I'm, I'm thinking if we're having real climate change, how long before I can grow palm trees in my yard? Right. I, I think that's the real question I'm asking. Cause then I don't have to go to Florida if, if it's going to be warm year round, it might take a while to get there. And it brings me to a memory when I was a kid. My brother, in his infinite wisdom, is, he was like 16, and he's like eight years older than me, so I was like eight. And he tells me, he's like, listen, by the time you're older, there's going to be snow on the ground for your birthday. Now, you guys know my birthday is Cinco de Mayo. And I was like, there's never snow on the ground for my birthday. Well, one year there was because it was a huge blizzard, and there was like a lot of residual snow left over. But I feel like there might actually be a shift in uh, the climate. And I'm not angry at it, actually. I don't think it's because of my SUV or, or because of the airlines or anything like that. I think that's just how God intended, how things change naturally. And they're changing. And just imagine, and I know I'm off uh, on a tangent here, but just imagine if we could have palm trees in New York. <laughs> what a great thought. I think that might stop some of the exodus. Although most people are running away from bad politicians, bad policy, and extraordinarily high taxes. But I think palm trees might help might help allay some fears. Anyway, I want to get into some conversations with you guys tonight. I see that we have calls from Pittsburgh, Vero Beach, Kalispell, Montana, Charleston, South Carolina, Salem, Arkansas. And um, I don't know if this is, um, maybe somebody in the control room can tell me, is caller six the person that was on hold last night that I wasn't able to get to? Okay, so we'll get to him first as soon as we start taking calls momentarily. But I wanted to um, share a couple of uh, stories that uh, our amazing staff in the control room sent to me. Because in addition to the Epstein story, which you're hearing everywhere, which honestly, I love to beat up, you know, the left and the bad guys as much as the next guy. But this was just not enough of a smoking gun. I thought it was going to be more than just a list of names. And I know that's what they said it would be. But, 
you know, when I hear Bill Clinton, I'm like, come on, there was a photo of Bill Clinton wearing a dress. It, it, this just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. You know, I, I want to hear some testimony saying he did this, that, and the other. Otherwise, you know, we got to be fair here. But there's other, there's other stories here. Uh, you've got the Department of Justice suing the state of Texas over their new immigration law. And, and we'll get to that. And there was a clip of audio from last night that I didn't get to use about immigration. Um, or did we use that? I think we did, actually. Um, Ms. Montoya, or Mr. Montoya, who gave that report. Um, but very, very telling. Uh, the fact that the, the reporter, a Hispanic reporter at the border was, you know, kind of freaked out. Like, wow, we've never seen anything like this. Yeah, no kidding. And, and I think that's part of the problem. And this is why Biden's doing as badly as he is in all the polls. And people are super scared that, oh, my God, is Biden going to be so bad? So bad that people actually sweeten up to Trump. Yes, that's the answer is yes. People miss Trump. They, they've realized it's not that bad. And um, I'm going to play this for you because, again, I, I thought it was, um, it, was, it was just, it was really well done. Go ahead. You can play it. Cut three. Border Patrol in the month of December processed more migrants entering the United States illegally than any month in the history of that agency. Why is that happening? What, how do you explain it? So we are seeing the greatest number of displaced people, not only at our southern border, not only in the Western Hemisphere, but across the globe. You know, I am involved in bilateral and multilateral meetings with my counterparts from foreign countries. Let me tell you something. That was one of the truest things he's ever said. Now, he's trying to dress it up, but he's right. This is the largest global transfer of people I think that we've ever seen. And yes, he's involved in it. And that's the first time I've seen him tell that truth. Uh, now, I know it was, you know, taken out of context because he's saying he's involved in bilateral, blah, 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 blah. But that is an ambition nonetheless, that he's talking to these people. They are orchestrating this. This is not an accident. This is being allowed to happen and, dare I say, encouraged to happen, as we all know. And nobody is, is stepping up. And this, this is where, and I don't want to fault the, the Border Patrol. I don't want to fault anybody. But I just think to myself, I used to work in the government. And it got so disgusting to me that I said, I got to get out of here. Like, I can't, I can't live in this environment. Somebody asked me, what was it like when you worked in state government? And my, my analogy was, I felt like I was walking around a place where everybody had a knife drawn, ready to stick you. Just ready to shank you up. And I was the only guy without a knife because I didn't want to shank up anybody. And they were just waiting for the moment where they needed to do it, where you were in their way or they needed something you had. And that was it. Just imagine living in a place like that where you're looking over your shoulder, watching your back. You, you can't sleep unless you have one eye open. And I think to myself, I got out of there fast, you know, really as, as fast as I could. And they were, they were trying to chase me out of there anyway because they didn't like what I stood for. But the reality is, I just don't see it. I, I wish NYPD every day. There's a new story. More cops are quitting. More cops are quitting. They won't put up with this. They won't allow the bad guys. They're willing to quit. Why isn't that happening in the border patrol? Why isn't there this massive sign of, you know what? We're done here. And I get it. People have to eat and I'm not blaming them. I really not. I'm just wondering. I'm just, I'm so perplexed by this that how much power does a pension and a paycheck really have and may, let's say it has it for one person does it have it for every person 
I'm curious. I believe that there probably are very high numbers of resignations from Border Patrol, from CBP, from uh, all those units of Homeland Security. And we don't hear about it because it's probably covered up. And they're trying to backfill them as quickly as they can so that they don't become the story. Because I can't imagine the men and women down there, the ones I've spoken with, the ones I've interviewed, um, putting up with nonsense forever. I get it. They have a union and they have to play games and there's some politics involved. But ultimately, these are good people. These are good Americans. And, and they want to do the right thing. And, and there's only a handful of people that are doing the wrong thing. Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, etc. So when Mayorkas says this stuff, I believe it. Anyway, play the tape. In Europe, uh, in Asia, in the Indo-Pacific, all over the world, in migration, the challenge of displaced people is a subject that comes up in every single conversation. We have the effects of climate change, poverty, increasing level of authoritarianism, the very many challenges that are at the root cause of the displacement of people around the world. Yep, you heard that right, folks. I'm blaming my desire to have the ability to grow a palm tree in New York, and Mayorkas is blaming migration on climate change. Unbelievable. If there's a single person listening right now, and this is a Wednesday night crowd, so we still have a, a north of 5 million listeners right now, please call. Please call. I don't want to fight with you. I don't want to argue with you. I really want you to help me understand this perspective. How, how on earth is climate change to blame for the massive, massive failure to secure our border? It's a load of BS. He knows it. I know it. And you know it. Folks, your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, we're going to get to your calls right now. I want to get to your calls, but I just want to tease something. Uh, so I, I saw that we had some audio of a, um, of, an, of a story. And when I looked at the video, oh, my goodness, we're going to have fun with this one. But uh, let's, let's, um, let's see what's going on in America tonight, right? Shall we? We shall. Let's go to our buddy Joe in Salem, Arkansas, who was holding on last night. Thank you for being a gentleman and calling back. Joe, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, thank you, Rich, for being a man of your word. Uh, yeah, I'm right up. Listen, uh, 
we're having that mild weather down here too, and I'll take it. I know it's strange, <laughs> but we're 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 on the south side of that jet stream, bringing it right up to you in New York, I guess. Uh, yeah. Good to now have you, you guys. Back you don't live. have palm trees in Arkansas, do you? We don't have what? Palm trees. Say that again. Palm trees. Oh no, palm trees. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. I've been, oh, I, I guess that's some ex- mountains. I guess that's exclusive to uh, Florida and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But I love those. Anyway, anyway go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. Um, I I didn't catch you at first, but anyway. Uh, uh, two things I want to touch on healthcare in a minute here, but uh, Ramaswamy, boy, you can have him all, on all the time. I yeah. love listening to him, and he's uh, he's the only politician that's got some respect for the the good guys like Trump. He, you know, he w- he wouldn't be a bad uh, uh, vice president with Trump. But you, uh, you know, I, I like him. I, I like him. I just sometimes I think, is it all talk? How does he pull it off w- without um, you know roots in Congress? Right. Because otherwise it's just it's me or you. Right. Anybody with a good opinion that that runs. And and I don't mean to sell him short uh, because I think the guy's remarkable. I really do. And and I wish him uh, the best of luck. And I I do think uh, of all the people that are out there running, uh, he'd probably be the best uh, suited to to run with Trump. Um, And we'll see how that unfolds. I I don't think we've seen the last of Vivek Ramaswamy for sure. He's a smart guy. He's a young guy. And he seems very ambitious. Uh. I appreciate him. I hope he's not uh, <laughs> a fraud. But anyway, uh, for what it's worth, I enjoyed that interview, even though it was short. Now, yeah, uh, me too. Thank you, you. you know, everybody's talking about, oh, what are we going to do if uh, if the Democrats get it again? Well, I, I think about Tom, what Tom Jefferson said in order for freedom to uh, survive. Uh, the uh, tree of liberty has to be watered with the blood of tyrants from time to time. And I hope that doesn't happen. But, you know, it could be a prophecy uh, for some day around here. Um, I'm, I'm going to go right on to uh, this health care thing now. Sure. W- w- did you have this plan to have ladies' night tonight? You had three in a row there. <laughs> you know, I didn't. I didn't. I, I run this show by the seat of my pants, honestly. I try to get the guests as, as day of as possible so that I am able to um, try to address what's, what's hot in, in, uh, in the news cycle. But w- what did you think of that? I mean, I like hearing from some intelligent ladies for a change that are patriots because in the past uh, all the women have left us for being patriots and uh, they're not don't seem to have as much interest. But you know they're coming out of the woodwork now, yeah. and there's three of them tonight that's doing some good work. Now on that health care, uh, all the people working in these establishments, medical establishments, they want universal health care. And I see why. I mean, the whole time you're waiting on paperwork. It's all paperwork. Yeah. And uh, it'd be a lot simpler, is the way they say, and it would bring costs down. Well, that's what they say. But um, you're not going to have that because the state reps and the Congress uh, people, well, the state house, anyway, tells me that all the investments uh, that they've got, the politicians, especially in, in the big Congress there, uh, they're making all kinds of dough off of all these stocks, medical stocks. And I remember there's no return like that after Obama there the next year. um, There was 35 to 40 percent profit return on on all the medical stocks. And they're still real high. Well, you know, what's interesting, Joe, is I I think the the part of the reason why people love this health care hustle is because it it, again, when you can get the buy in of the people. I talked about it earlier with um, with. 
uh, Dr. Shea, but it, it was, it's remarkable to me that if you said to somebody, you know, what do you think about the government censoring your thoughts or censoring your speech um, with respect to your own health care, your choice of vaccine, um, how your opinion on whether an election was fair or unfair? I think most people, if they didn't know the rest of the context, would say, well, I think that's crazy. The government should never do that. But yet when faced with that opportunity, tons of people embrace this idea. And we see the same thing with the Affordable Care Act and, and the, the fascistic idea of the government and health insurance companies being intertwined in control of your health care. And, and it's no other way to look at it than that. Right. When I go to the doctor, if I need a prescription for something, the first thing I see the doctor, he's got a scribe with him or a, an assistant, and he'll say, find out if the insurance will cover this. If not, give him this. Right. He's playing the game that they're making him play. Uh, he wants to give me, you know, medication X, but they won't cover that. So then you got to start finagling and go with medication B. And it, it's just fascinating to me that. They have gotten willing participants. And again, no fault to the doctors. They have no other choice. But the idea that people would embrace this soft fascism and, and just see the government just go right into our most intimate um, details of life, our health care, and, and just be in charge of it is just so astounding to me. And it just blows me away. And how easy it is to fool a handful of people. Just really, it, it is is remarkable. Joe, great points. I appreciate your call. Thank you very, very much. Uh, let me see. Where do we go here? We were just in Arkansas. Let us go to John Vero Beach, Florida, WTTB. John, go right ahead. We're down to a minute. Yes. Uh, real quick, I was under the Community Care Act uh, with regard to the VA, the VA had a contract with an MRI provider to provide an MRI for me. I went to go to get the MRI done, and they demanded that I give them my full Social Security number. I said, no, I absolutely categorically refuse because you have a contract with the VA. Your contract is not with me. It's with the VA. And they hide my Social Security number to protect the veterans under what they call an ICN number used to identify the <laughs> you know, the, the patient. So he doubled down on it. I called the VA out in the parking lot because I refused to let them do right. the MRI because it required that I give them my social security number. John, we're running out of time, but I'm glad you stuck to your guns. Give them hell, brother. Godspeed to you. Folks, we're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, if you're following me on social media at Rich Valdez with an S, you've already seen what I've tweeted out. If you're not, I'm going to share it with you, but you should check it out because you could see this for yourself. Man, let me tell you. Remarkable. Excuse me. I was choking on a piece of toast. Forgive me. And we... Uh, let me set the stage. I'm still choking. Okay. So this is interesting, right? This is in Las Vegas. The, the judge is offering uh, her opinion on this case 
and the sentence. And the man, his name is Diobra Redden, 30 years old, three-time felon. He was being sentenced by Judge Mary K. Holtus, Clark County District Court, after he was convicted of attempted battery with substantial bodily harm. Right? That's what he was being um, tried for, and that was what he was getting sentenced for. Battery. Now, in the movies, these people are typically handcuffed, but this guy was there, not handcuffed. He's before the judge, and this is remarkable. He's standing in front of her, and she starts to, to give him her opinion. Listen to this. I appreciate that, but I think it's time that he gets a taste of something else because I just can't with that history. In accordance with the laws of state of Addis Court. Oh, hey, oh, hey. All right, so let me give you the play-by-play here. As soon as she says, I just can't with that history, this man flies. He appears to hover. I don't know, a, a bench for a judge, just like the movies. What is that, like maybe five and a half feet in the air? And then they sit above that, so maybe it's like seven feet. This man is in front of her, getting sentenced about, I don't know, like a, a, I don't know, three feet in front of her. And he just lunges toward her and totally clears the bench. I mean, this is more remarkable than any Olympian I've ever seen clearing hurdles. And he jumps right over this thing. And he jumps onto the judge. She ducks her law clerk uh, or whomever is that person on the computer next to her, young guy. He starts punching the bad guy to get him away from the person. The bailiff jumps in and he's on top of the guy. There's two guys on top of the guy. Eventually a third guy gets into it and they just keep punching and punching this guy. And there's no stopping the guy. I've never seen anything this this uh, aggressive and this fast. This guy displayed some superior athleticism. Again, his name, Diobra Redden, uh, 30 years old, three-time felon, uh, was being sentenced for battery. And you would think if you're getting sentenced for battery and the judge is saying, I can't give him a pass because the, his past is, is too checkered, you would think that this man might be in handcuffs. But no, she says, I think it's time he got a taste of something else, right? Because his attorney asked the judge to sentence the client, uh, their client, Mr. Redden, to probation. The judge said, no, he's a repeat offender. We have to give him a taste of something else because I just can't with that history. Suddenly, Redden sprints up to the bench, springs himself over with outstretched arms and tackles the judge to the ground. It's amazing. I mean, no, there's a freeze frame in the article that I shared. You see him. He looks like he's flying. I mean, it's just really remarkable. Uh, anyway, and uh, an American flag, the Nevada flag, they all came crashing down in the middle of the melee. Uh, several other people can be seen wrestling and punching Mr. Redden as he's yelling profanity at the judge. And court officers appear to eventually drag him away, but then he breaks free and he tries to go back after the judge while she's still on the ground. So um, there's others punching him again, trying to make sure that they don't get that this guy doesn't get to the to the judge, someone in the background screaming, what the hell's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I mean, it, it's just really remarkable. And it tells me we have a cultural rot in our country, right? And, and 
people fault me when I say things like that because they think, you know what, Rich, you're being too, um, too broad. Is it the whole country that's suffering? Yeah, I think it is. It may not be in every single neighborhood yet, but I think this rot is spreading and it's spreading, uh, spreading uh, quickly. And there's only, in my opinion, one way to stop this, and it's to go back to the, to the basics, right? To teach people certain things about kindness, about doing the right thing, about upholding um, your family, being respectful. And I feel like those things have dissipated by and large, and they've almost been applauded because of these crazy policies that are not promoted by Republicans, but, but the progressives, the, the radical left that says, no, 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 that's racist if you say that they're doing this. It's racist if you do that. No, it's fair. You can't attack a judge. You can't beat people up. That's just how life is. And I think it's just remarkable that we're in the situation we're in. Anyway, uh, I want to get your reactions to that, if anybody saw it, and the rest of your calls on um, health care and how political people lie and everything else you guys want to discuss. Let's see. Where do we go now? Let's see. Uh, who else is next in line? Um, let's go here to... Uh, Hold on, my screen went blank for one moment. Give me a moment here. Uh, Let's go to James Kalispell, Montana on KOFI. James, go right ahead. Hey, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, James. Before we get into your topic, I just want to get your reaction to to this clip of audio you just heard. Have you ever heard of it? It's my first time seeing something that aggressive. Um, Have you seen that before where people are getting sentenced and they just jump at the judge? Well, no, but... It goes into what I was going to say. Um, sure. I'm actually related to Davy Crockett, and cool. he got so sick and tired of things in America back then <laughs> that he actually became a politician. And yeah. back then, if you wanted to rob a bank, you had a damn good chance of getting your ass shot out of the saddle by yeah. the common folks that weren't going to put up with that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not advocating uh, you know violence or anything else but let's get back to common basics so about this health care issue and all um there's two names i'd like to throw out parcelius the father of modern medicine and edgar casey um america's greatest psychic so parcelius might not have really appreciated that title uh, he ended up having a very rich client that couldn't be solved by any other doctor. His medical issue couldn't be solved by any other doctor. Pyrocelia hmm. said, not a problem, and cured the guy like, bam, done, gone, next patient. And the patient actually said, you cured me so fast that I don't think I should pay you what the bill. I shouldn't pay my bill, you know, in full. And he actually took Parcelius to court and the judge agreed with Parcelius or with the, pardon me, with the patient that Parcelius did not allow the, the mind of the patient to take enough time. And which is just a crock because that's what modern medicine is. They don't want, and that set the precedence of modern Mm. medicine. They don't want to cure you 
they just want to experiment and drag you on and make you a paycheck. You know, I don't disagree with what you're saying, James. Um, I think that there there is an element within our healthcare system, probably a very strong element, that is operating from that perspective. And I think there's others that are just willing participants and, and maybe um, not really seeing the full damage that they do by being willing participants. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing, right? If you're allowing it to happen, you're allowing it to happen. And for some people, it takes them a while to realize things. And, and I try to give the benefit of the doubt. But I, I agree with, uh, with you. There's way too many people that are in, in, in the business that, that just say, hey, you know, it is what it is. I think another thing that is interesting, right, is the view that the doctor has and the doctor's training. Uh, and I'm not faulting doctors in any way, but I'm saying I know a lot of doctors, they show up every day, they do their best, uh, they follow the, the oath of uh, Hippocrates, the Hippocratic Oath, and they do what they can. And and they want to go home with a clear conscience. So they, they feel like I did what I, I can, and they move on. And and there are some that get lost along the way where they're just like, hey, listen, I can only do oh, but so much. And they be, they become desensitized. And I think that's where it becomes more businesslike for certain people or those that get into it for the sake of business. And it's a shame. But I think the, the majority of physicians are fantastic. And uh, and I appreciate the ones that I go to. But James, thanks for the point. I really appreciate it. Folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. <coughs> this is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night. With Rich Valdez. All right, folks, I want to get to everybody on the line, and there's a bunch of you. So I want to do a speed round for this segment and the next to make sure we get everybody in. So let's go straight down the line. <clears throat> and uh, let's start with Lee, who's calling from Burlington, Vermont. WVMT, Lee, go right ahead. This, re this is regarding the... Uh female judge that was attacked by yes. the assailant who was be being uh, he was it's being sentence. sentenced didn't have yeah. anything on her on him to keep him uh, restrained and the, it's very similar to what happened at the bus station uh, when police were called only one cus only one uh, uh, police officer was at the scene because we had had defunding of the police. And so mm. when she went to find out about this guy who was harassing people at the bus station, he attacked her and it took four of the people waiting for buses to pull him off of her. And they had to take her to the hospital for treatment from the beating she took before they could get this guy off of her. Wow. And That's he horrible. was on drugs. That's why he was so strong and and attacking ah, and so, so aggressive. Well, it makes sense, especially if you're on drugs and you're and you're already like emotionally disturbed. 
Uh, that makes a lot of sense that that would happen. This guy clearly, when you attack as many people as he has, he has some emotional issues. <clears throat> and listen, I've got a pretty short fuse myself, and I'm work I've, every day. I put in work to make sure it's 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 longer and longer that fuse. And and that's part of life, right? Part of life and growing up and understanding yourself and being a healed whole person is making sure that you you don't blow your stack all the time and just do what you want and hurt people. That's that's just a reality of life. Some people, you know, grow up in the streets and that's that's how they communicate. And it's it's very sad, but it, it just it's crazy to me. Like I think the person on drugs here had to be the the bailiff, the the court. How do you have a guy that's being sentenced on assault charges and he's not in handcuffs? I mean, maybe that's just not the protocol there, but I bet you anything from now on it probably will be because this woman paid the price. Anyway, Lee, thank you for your call. Happy New Year to you. Uh, let's go to Jim Pittsburgh, KDKA. Jim, go right ahead. Rich, um, hey, follow up on the uh, drugs issue. I heard mm-hmm. Congressman before. Uh, she had a lot of points. I worked as a pharmaceutical salesman from 1976 to 2003. I was a trauma wound burn specialist, and I'm a Medicare broker now. Let me talk about the drugs. Biosimilars, they're not going to be cheaper. They're I'm very expensive. Myself, they, uh, they are, but here's the good thing. Under Medicare, uh, there was a cap on them this year for three thousand five hundred. Next year, it'll be twenty five hundred. But the problem with that will be that because <laughs> the Inflation Reduction Act wanted to bring reduce the pro- drugs for seniors, and I'm one. I'm American myself. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is, like I'm on a plan now. It costs fifty cents a, a, a month, really, for drugs because I have a supplement. However, here's the bad thing. Tier threes, which are branded drugs, they typically would be thirty-eight to forty-five dollars. Now they're going to be twenty-five percent starting beginning of this year. That's huge. Going to pay a lot more money for drugs. Yeah, and, no, I agree, and I think we're not going to see any drops in drug prices, especially these biologics, because they're working so well for people, and people want them. And like you mentioned, the biosimilars that uh, can come at a at a cost savings. And, and there's a lot of uh, former Congress people that are now lobbying for, for these drugs. And, and I hear the argument, and it sounds fair to me. I haven't really heard the counter argument. Uh, I realize that it, it's never cool to tell somebody how much money they can make or they can't make. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we do have to help people. I'm a little bit of a bleeding heart when it comes to that stuff. But I am, um, at the end of the day, I'm a free market guy. And we, we shouldn't, um, you know, people that invest all of the R&D to make this product uh, shouldn't pay the price because if they become disincentivized, then we won't have these amazing biosimilars or other drugs. And and that to me is is a bigger problem. Jim, thank you for the call. Folks coming right back. Speed round. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to Jacob, San Jose, California, KBTA. Jacob, go right ahead. Yes, hello, Rich. Uh, Pretty soon, next week or so, Alexandria Mayorkas, DHS, he's responsible for the integrity of our borders. He's going to appear. uh, Do you think, according to the U.S. Constitution, Article 4, Section 4, we're supposed to have all the 50 states' protection against invasion. 
is he going to be uh, uh, held responsible, accountable for protecting us against invasion or not? You know, I don't know that that's I, I think ultimately there that will be the standard that they hold Joe Biden to and they should. Um, but I do believe that there there is going to be an effort to impeach Mayorkas. Um, why not? Right. Why not? And and lay the um, the groundwork to to soften up Biden even more. Whether it works or not is a whole different story. I mean, they've already reduced his salary to a dollar. So we'll see what happens. But um, the guy talks in circles. He's a as a quintessential bureaucrat as they come. Jacob, thank you for your call. Let's continue. Let's go to Kansas City, Missouri, KTTR. Jimmy, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Rich, hey, I hope you had a lot of tryptophan for New Year's and Christmas. (laughs) Uh, Not not as much as I had for um, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah, okay. So then, okay, uh, I got two, well, one one thing besides what you wanted to talk about, uh, I, I'm wondering in Colorado, why does the state court rule on a federal law? It seems to me like that would have been referred to a federal district court. But the other thing yeah. about uh, the free market, I mean, let's get serious. What, am I going to go down tomorrow and take out a loan for $1.2 billion and hire a CEO for $400 million and start my own insurance corporation? No. So I don't think our free market idea is a very good idea, but uh, what, what do you think? I, I think a free market's great as opposed to a market that's controlled by the government or controlled by something else. I'd rather it be controlled by the will of the people. If, if you're, what you're selling is worth it to the people, they're going to buy it. If it's not worth it, it's not worth it. Um, and I think uh, I understand the point you're making that are we really in a free market now? I get that point. I think that we're, I guess, in somewhat of a, a pseudo free market in many ways, but it's it's better than a lot of alternatives is what I can say. Jim, thank you for the call. Big shout out to Mike in Reading, Pennsylvania, Linda in Albany, New York, Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Thank you for being on hold. I'm sorry. All of you guys will be up first tomorrow. I wish I had more time. I keep telling them to give me another hour and they keep telling me. Let's shut this guy up and get him out of here. It's almost 1 o'clock in the morning. All right, folks. Take care. Good night. And God bless you, America. Hasta la próxima. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.